This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. You know, I had a conversation years ago when I first got saved, and um, it was a friend. It was kind of interesting. We were born the same year, born the same day. You know, it was kind of one of those things where it was that kind of familiarity. And we had this conversation, and we, we grew up Catholic, and, uh, and then I was telling him how I got saved, and he was so, you know, supportive of that fact. But there was a gap or something that was missing in our exchange when we would talk about God. And, and it was almost like, what is, it that, what is it you're not understanding about the truth of Jesus Christ? And, and I kept, you know, looking into it. And, and then all of a sudden, one day we were eating lunch and, and I mentioned the fact that God's word is divine, you know, and... To my surprise, he said, that's not divine. That was written by man. And it just never dawned on me that that's where the disconnect would be. I figured, you know, if you're a Christian or you're calling yourself a Christian, you would take to heart that the word of God is is God's word. It's divine. And that's when I realized that, you know, Unless we have the right respect for God's word, I don't know how we could actually really have fellowship with God together. Uh, There's a lot of disrespect for the word of God today. You know, people, you'll hear all these arguments, who wrote it, it's been translated. But, you know, I did a class called Bibliology at the Spring Valley Bible College one year. It's really fascinating what you will run into in God's word concerning the proclamation that God has made about his word. And, um, you know, I want to look at some scriptures, but I think tonight I really want to real, uh, you know, just really show a contrast between coming to God with the understanding that this is the word of God, as opposed to coming to God with a humanistic understanding of, of truth. You know what I mean by humanism? Can anybody give me a definition? What would they say to be humanistic in life about God? What would your definition be? Anybody want to just blurt something out? <laughs> well, morality, yeah. Morality would be a symptom that would define a humanistic person or a humanistic Christian. And they would define their righteousness by their morality. Uh, A humanist is someone who is processing God or trying to process God through their carnal minds without the help of the Holy Spirit, who's the one who's really interpreting God's word for us. In order for us to see the divine righteousness of Christ the Holy Spirit's going to have to do a wonderful work in us, which began at salvation, but he's illuminating the truth of God's word, and we start seeing the divine righteousness of God. Do you know that, do you know that humanistic ideas are getting into the church? 
You could see it on the TV evangelists. There's a big difference between preaching Christ and preaching a righteousness of man. See, they're talking about niceness. They're talking about goodness. But they're not talking about the divine righteousness of Christ. And for all purposes, they, they probably have no respect for what the Bible really means as far as God going through great lengths to get it into our hands so that he can teach us the ways of righteousness as defined by the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that, you know, last time I was here, I was sharing, are we a product of the Holy Spirit through the teaching of the Spirit of God in our hearts through the Word of God, or are we a product of man in his righteousness? Because it's impossible to grow in the Lord if, it's, if we're allowing ourselves to be, um, or at least allowing the truth to be distorted by, uh, by man's interpretation of truth without the help of the Holy Spirit. But let me just start off. I want to I get into Psalms 119, verse 9. And let's use this as an opening verse. And uh, let me just pray. Father, we just thank you as we lift this time up to you. We do ask, Father, through the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit, just to pierce our hearts with conviction. I pray, Father, for all of us as we grow in the Lord, that we continue to develop a loyalty to Jesus Christ, to your word. I pray, Father, that we would be a people unwavering when it comes to the faith, unmovable, Father, when it comes to defending the truth. And I pray, Father, that you, you would just bless this time. Help me to communicate effectively and just help me to recall many of the wonderful gems that you've put upon my heart, Father, and studying your word and being able to just uh, communicate your truth here tonight and uh, allow you, the power of your Holy Spirit to truly uh, pierce our hearts with the things that we talk about tonight. We thank you and we lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. But Psalms, you know, Psalms 119 uh, speaks about how important the word is. <clears throat> but in Psalms 119, uh, verse, let's begin in uh, verse, um, verse 9. <clears throat> and this is just an excerpt, but the whole psalm continues to be characterized by these words. How can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. <clears throat> I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statues. I will not forget your word. And that's what characterizes Psalms, you know, all throughout. Speaking of the importance, how reliable is the word of God? Well, Proverbs 35 and 6 says the word of God is perfect and flawless. Every word of God is flawless. It's perfect. The second thing, oh, does anybody need a Bible? <clears throat> Can anybody... Uh, Okay, we got some Bibles to give out. 
The second thing is the word is complete in the final revelation to man. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Revelation 22, 18 says, don't add to my word or distract from it. Because God has given us the complete revelation of what he wants us to know about his wonderful plan of redemption, beginning from Genesis all the way, all the way to the book of Revelation. And the word is truth. I like John 17, 17. It's infallible. It's without error. It's the absolute authority for godly living. Now, this is the manual, right? We don't have to go outside the manual. Uh, there was a, a quote from a bishop of the Vatican, and they said, you know, those born-again Christians think that the answers to life are found, all the answers to life are found in the Bible. They are. You know, the best thing that can happen to anyone, you know, if, if, if God wanted their full attention, is for God to put them on a desert island with just the Bible, and they studied the Bible with a little help from the Holy Spirit. It's amazing what they would really learn about God. Without the disruption or the ideas or the persuasions of man's ideas. It's amazing what even a 10-year-old would be able to understand and learn about God. But it's the absolute authority. Everything that God wants us to know about his wonderful plan of redemption is, is in the word alone. And... Uh, if we just stick to the word and uh, not allow ourselves to be influenced by opinionated commentary, sometimes I hear a lot of opinionated commentary about God's word that they fog up the truth of the simplicity of what God really wants to communicate to us. This Bible was written that even a 10-year-old could read the Gospel of John and get saved if they just read it with an open mind. A 10-year-old could read this. Do you know how many people have complicated the simplicity of the gospel, the gospel of John? Why? Because they come in with their humanistic ideas. They know more about God, and they're trying to interpret God to someone else with their carnal minds. Now, you know why we have to be born again and regenerated? Because we have carnal minds. Do you know how many people? I mean, it's, it's, it's almost ludicrous for a natural mind, someone who's never been born again to try to communicate God's truth to someone else without the Spirit of God. And yet it goes on all the time. And so uh, the only way that we can uh, truly go forward and truly see the reality of truth, see the reality of Jesus Christ, okay, and see the reality of God's righteousness is by being committed in such a manner where God can really speak to us through the word alone. <clears throat> and so the word is truth. It's infallible. It's without error. It's the absolute authority for godly living. And the Bible is the inspired word of God. We're going to look at 2 Timothy 3, but I just want to say a couple other things as far as the value that Jesus Christ put on the word of God. In Luke 24, 27, he talks about Moses and the prophets. And everything Moses and the prophets said were considered binding upon the Jews for godly direction. And something of that binding nature has to be authoritative and divine. Okay, this is, there's an element of morality in this book, but this is not a moral book. It does have a, an element of morality. And that's what comes from the righteousness of God. But that's a little different. You know, again, you can go to... You can go to seminars where people have these, these uh, seminars designed for be successful in life, but they're not talking about Jesus. 
And they're not talking about the word of God. They're not preaching Jesus. And so that difference continues to separate us from the humanistic understanding of God as opposed to knowing God through the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus encountered with Satan in the wilderness, right? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11, he's tempted in three different areas. And what did Jesus do? He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. We can't do any better than that, okay? We can't top our Savior. We, he fought back with the word of God against temptation. And we can't do anything better but to follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior. And when we, get it, when we involve ourselves with spiritual warfare, fight back with the truth. Fight back with the word of God. It's our only defense. Because if we try to fight back with our own understanding, you know, it's not going to work. And so that's why we, we're going to talk about certain things. What is it that gets in the way of fogging up this wonderful relationship with God? We're going to talk about six different things tonight. Because there's a lot of things going on around us that are very persuasive. And they're redirecting us and, and, and putting our focus somewhere else and making it very difficult for the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit that has taken up residency in our hearts to really illuminate the divine righteousness of Christ. If we can't see the divine righteousness of Christ, how are we going to grow in the holiness of God? It's nearly impossible. And we're living in a time where the truth of God's word is being so challenged. And that challenge is coming right within the church as a whole. Because the value system of the world has infiltrated the church and now all these humanistic ideas about God that have nothing to do with preaching Jesus Christ and his truth is destroying innocent minds and the integrity of the word working in a person's heart. And today we are just so bombarded, you know, by all these TV evangelists. And, you know, and again, we live in an undisciplined country. People don't even commit to a church that's teaching the word of God. Of course, it's just easy to sit home, listen to a tape, listen to the radio, and there's absolutely no commitment. You know, let me, not to get ahead of myself, you know, we're starting a Bible college Tuesday night, right? Okay, that's a good thing. Obviously, I wouldn't do it if it wasn't. But here's the thing. Ken, I've been in a very high academic climate most of my Christian life, okay? There's a big difference growing in the knowledge of the word and not growing in a way that we're sharing the heart of God. Okay, this is, the, this, is the, this is where we have to protect against. We have to grow in the knowledge of God, and we grow in the knowledge of God through the word of God. But something else has to be happening in our personal lives to see the effectiveness of how powerful God's word really is. And that's commitment to the truth. Ooh, commitment, that's a four-letter word. We don't want to talk about submission. That's a four-letter word. But to be undisciplined, you know, to have access. I hear people say, well, I'm not a reader, so I don't read the Bible. All right. My advice to that, start reading. <laughs> Get disciplined, really. And I say that in love, right? But we can make every excuse in the book. We can read the paper. You know, we can do a lot of things. We can't spend 20 minutes in God's word a day. 
really meditating. You spend 20, day, 20 minutes in God's word meditating, you'll probably end up spending an hour in God's word every day. That's all it takes. But boy, there's so many distractions. Oh, my favorite show's on. My favorite team is playing. Oh, right? We'll even wash the dishes not to read the Bible, you know, because it takes a little discipline, you know. And again, I'm not trying to give out cheap advice, but somewhere we, we need to cry out to God, continue to change the appetite of my life where I find such joy and such pleasure in just meditating on your word, Lord, meditating with the intention that I want your word to change me. I started to talk about the Bible college in the sense that, you know, one of my biggest fears is that a lot of times students get caught up in the theological aspect, and yet they're not really growing in, a, in their personal faith with God. So the only way we can grow is to submit to the truth. You can read this Bible blue in the face, you know, every year, but if there's no submission, there's no commitment, I'm telling you that words are going to fall on deaf ears. We've got to be careful. We can't let this happen. If something is so divine and God has given us his manual and we, know, we need to make sure that we're just not talking about the truth or hearing the truth, we've got to make sure that we are committed to the truth of God's word. That's a big difference. And I'm telling you, if we're not committed, you could, um, you could read this Bible all you want. All you're going to do is fall in love with your knowledge of God's word, and you're not going to fall in love with Christ. And that's not good. And so Jesus, you know, he, he fought back. It is written. It is written. It is written. And if Christ is fighting back with the word of God, that's how we engage in spiritual warfare. We fight back with the word, but we have to be good students of the word. We have to be doers of the word. And to fight back in a way that we're just not quoting scripture. You know, some of these prosperity teachers, they got their little formula. The Lord rebuke you, you know. And, and it's like, okay, Satan's going to lay down and play dead. And they're not even teaching. They're not even teaching their people how to engage in spiritual warfare. And really take heart the reality of what we're saying. When Satan comes against us, we can quote scripture with the reality of that scripture saying, Satan has no jurisdiction over me. I'm a child of God and I'm following Christ. Amen. And that carries a lot of power in my life. But to say it as some kind of superstitious formula, the Lord rebuke you and, 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 and say certain kinds of cliches without being taught how to engage in spiritual warfare, that's doing an injustice to God's people. Teach them how to engage by walking in the truth. And so when they quote these scriptures, it's because they believe in all, you know, they believe with all, we believe with all our hearts, the reality of what we're saying and not reducing it to some little formula as if, you know, that's a magic formula that's going to, just give us victory. That's not the way this works. We understand the reality. We understand the nature of what we're saying. Why? Because we're tasting the goodness of God every day in our lives. We're experiencing God. We're not just knowing him on paper. We're knowing God 
in a personal relationship with him. What a difference. And all of a sudden now, the fears of life start getting uprooted because we're growing in such a manner that we're taking on the courage of God. We, you know, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, right, Timothy, but a spirit of courage. All of a sudden, we're minimizing all the worries of life, the anxieties of life, the fears of life, and we're just experiencing God the way he wants us to experience him. And so Jesus' rebuke of the Sadducees, you know, we see that in Matthew 22, used the scriptures to rebuke them, showing the authority. These scriptures are unbreakable, Matthew 5.18. The irrevocable nature of the scriptures show their divine authority. So Jesus puts his stamp of approval on the scriptures. He's the one that is setting the example for us. How powerful is the word of God? Well, 1 Peter 1.23 says we're born again with the word of God. <laughs> Think about that. You know, when, when Paul said in Romans chapter 1, right, uh, uh, the, the gospel is the power of God for all those who believe. Think about that. The power of God. Okay. What does he mean? The word of God, when it's accepted, it imparts eternal life. You know, if somebody here was to accept Christ tonight that was an unbeliever and really meant it, and, you know, God, you know, Holy Spirit has been preparing their hearts, you know, and they've been wrestling with it, and all of a sudden, tonight's the night they accept the Lord. The power of God, it imparts eternal life. That's power. You mean to believe upon the gospel? All the, all the weapons of mass destruction, all that power cannot do what the gospel message can do. Impart eternal life. That's power. But that's how powerful God's word is. And of course, we maintain you know, the power of the Holy Spirit and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit now that we're Christians. That's why we have to have a boldness to preach Christ. I know we don't all have the gift of evangelism, and a lot of us, you know, we, we're very intimidated by sharing our faith. But we need to start crying out. Because if something this powerful can change a person's life, we need to give them access to it by preaching the gospel message. Because right, all these humanistic ideas that are going on, how to be successful in life. You know, if you're not preaching Jesus, I don't want to hear it. If you're not preaching the gospel, I don't want to hear it. Because you're wasting everybody's time, including God. You know, but if you want to bring Jesus to me, you want to bring the gospel message, let's talk business. You won't believe what will happen in the transitional power of God's word. <clears throat> The word is living. Go to Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. Tim, what do I have? To 10 o'clock tonight? Oh, what do you say? 10.30. He's pretty, he's pretty funny guy. Huh? I, mean, I love his subtle sarcasm when he's preaching. Huh? Isn't he good? You know? got me chuckling at it, yeah, the sermons. <clears throat> anyway, Hebrews, 
Hebrews uh, 4, 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrows and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It divides. What is it dividing? It's uprooting any deception, any lie, especially any lie in the name of Christianity. It's uprooting the deception of our own hearts. Let me tell you something about this flesh. It can rationalize anything, including sin. Huh? How many people are in a relationship, a, a, a relationship that's not ordained by God, having sex before marriage, and they'll swear up and down, God put us together. Now we're just testing the water to make sure that part works in our marriage. They'll swear up and down and th without any reservations. That's how deceitful the heart is. That's only one example. God told me to go to Hawaii and just take two years off and live by the, by the ocean and, and do nothing, you know. And <laughs> That's how deceptive the heart is. This flesh, this is what we all have to be careful of. I'm telling you, we can rationalize anything. How are we going to kick out this rationalization? We've got to make sure the word of God is germinating on a continuous basis in our hearts. Because if it isn't, we're going to persuade ourselves to do things contrary to God's word. We have to be open. We have to be humble. We have to always consider ourselves first. Lord, am I submitting in obedience to the truth of your word? You know? God says to stay in fellowship. I got to even add an adjective. Stay in godly fellowship. Okay? I don't know what fellowship means to a lot of churches. You know, it's like they're living two different, two different lives. Church life and then their own life. I'm talking about godly people. We surround ourselves with godly, faithful brothers and sisters. We're going to give ourselves a good, safe, uh, good, uh, you know, protection or safeguard for our lives because not only will God speak to us through the Holy Spirit in our hearts but he'll speak to us through faithful brothers and sisters that's why Proverbs talks about you know correction you know and, and receiving correction and letting people speak truth into our hearts who have really established their maturity they can see things better you know, Proverbs talks about a good friend. He could draw out some things. I'm paraphrasing. But he has, the, you know, a good friend can draw out some wonderful things in our hearts, which we can't see in our deception. But all of this adds up to help us to safeguard ourselves. And so the word is living and active. It cuts through any deception, whether by man or even our own hearts. It brings to light the divine righteousness of Jesus Christ in order to walk in the ways of God. Do you know that this verse, I look, you know, I'm always looking for the continuity of God's word. And then you get these verses. Okay, he's talking about the generation in chapter three, 
that just walked in unbelief, but they failed to trust God. You know, they, they, they believe God, but they failed to trust in God. And so what's going on with these Hebrew Christians is they're fooling themselves that in order to escape persecution from fellow countrymen, non-believing Jews, they'll just assimilate and continue with the, pra the practices of what the non-believing Jews are doing with their sacrifices. Somewhere in their process, they have assimilated through deception and now all of a sudden, it's very hard for God to speak to their hearts. Paul is bringing this verse in, you know, the one that we're all familiar with, again, just reading it, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. He's introducing that verse in the midst of this deception by these Hebrew Christians. You know, they just need to learn the ways of God, but somewhere they have fooled themselves. And in order to escape the persecution they have assimilated with non-believing Jews. The author, which I think is Paul, gets in there and he's trying to bring them face to face with the reality of their error and trying to get them back on, 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 you know, on the right page as far as the expression of their faith. He starts talking about the word of God. Listen, you fooled yourself. How are you going to come out from the error of your way? Let God's word get back in there. It'll separate all this deception. Get you back on track and start remaining loyal to Jesus Christ, even to the point where it's going to bring the wrath of your fellow countrymen through persecution upon you. Do you know a word that runs throughout the Bible? I love it. Persevere. 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 It runs through every book of the Bible. Persevere. How are we going to persevere in the truth with all of these dots being thrown at us, including our own heart running the risk of rationalizing and deceiving ourselves? How are we going to persevere in a faithful way? Well, cling to God. Cling to Christ. Cling to the Word of God. Let the Holy Spirit just continue to pierce our hearts with truth. Amen. And so, how important is it to be devoted to the word of God? Let's look at 2 Timothy 2nd Timothy 3:14. Again, another verse you most of you are familiar with. But he's talking, Paul speaking to young Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then the famous 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Again, it's divine. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And the reason why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work.
Let's break that down. I listed six things that come out of these verses. The first one in verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Again, been assured of. You know, the idea is that we have the convictions, the firm, godly convictions to be totally convinced without a shadow of a doubt that God is right and his word is flawless. And we're submitting to it because we know the power of the word and changing us through our obedience to the faith. Do we have the convictions? The word of God is what develops convictions. See, if someone's teaching a humanistic message, you know, I, I get, I'll put his name out there, Joe Osteen. Uh, to me, that's not preaching Christ. That's just a goodness message. That's a niceness message. Trust me. If that's your primary source of learning about God, you'll never grow an inch in the word of God or develop the convictions that you need to grow in the divine righteousness. You might grow as a nice person or a good person and live by a certain standard that is not the standard of righteousness that God has given us in his word. But you might feel good about yourself and live by your own principles your own standard because you're becoming a product of that humanistic understanding and not really becoming a product of the reality of divine righteousness when the Holy Spirit is driving home God's word. Don't touch my pastor. He's a nice guy. Everybody wants to be married to Joe Osteen. Oh, if my only, you know. It's like, hey, stop this. Is anybody listening to what's being said, you know, you can get that kind of message in a atheist camp where you got a motivating speaker to try to show you how to live successfully as an atheist in this life. But the reality is that Christ is not being preached. And the point, the reason I'm making a point, there's no way you can develop godly convictions when the person who's communicating or supposed to be communicating God's word is not preaching Christ. It's the word of God that's going to change us. You want someone bringing us face to face with Christ, face to face with the scriptures, showing us how to follow God in the fullness of the faith by preaching properly. But a lot of that's going on you know, a lot of that's going on. I'll put another name out there. I hope I'm not going to get anybody in trouble here. But uh, let me tell you something. Huh? <laughs> okay, Rick Warren, right? All right, let's talk about Rick Warren, you know. Here's my concern, okay? Now, you, you'll, you'll ask even pastors in Calvary Chapel. You'll get four different answers on who, you know, what they think about him. I'll give you my answer, okay? My word says... The word of God says that the student is not above the master. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Okay? Okay. Rick Warren came up with a global plan, a peace plan, remember? Right? Come on. He's saying he's got a plan that's going to unify everyone. I wish this guy was around when Jesus was being persecuted. He might have spared Christ going to the cross. Because he had a better system. And I'm being a little sarcastic. The problem is, see, that's where you got to be careful. 
if we're going to preach the truth, we're going to get persecuted. And trust me, if we're preaching the truth properly, they're going to hate us. That's just the fact. You know why? Because darkness hates the light. Now, if you're going to assimilate and sidetrack the truth and start coming up with a philosophical idea on how to preach Christianity and have a peace program, there is no peace. What did Jesus say? I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. What is he talking about? He's going to preach the truth. The sword is going down. It hasn't changed. And if we preach the truth, the sword goes down. Members of our own family are going to hate us and tell us to get lost. And I tell them, okay, I'm on my way. I'm going to follow Christ. <coughs> but that's, this is where, again, you know, I, I think Rick Warren's definitely there. But I think he bought into his own lie. You know, I don't know if he's changed yet. But here's the problem. Who's going to argue with that kind of success? Numerically. I'm not talking about biblical success. Who's going to argue with that? That's the issue. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. And so, you, know, you can, I'm just sharing that these things concern me. Because we have to develop godly convictions to persevere in the faith. And I'm telling you, these ideas about Christianity are diluting the truth and they're diluting something where it's going to be very difficult to be able to grow in the Lord because now we're being persuaded by the ideas of man and we're not being persuaded by the Holy Spirit. I have no problems myself put names out there. I'm sorry. Oh, never put a name out there. Yeah. If you're a good pastor, you're going to protect the sheep from a deceptive message. And if you don't put names out there, then I don't know what's, you know, what are you doing pastoring when you can't even protect your sheep? Do you know what's going on with the, with, with the, these ideas getting into people's minds? Do you know when they get into your innermost being, you become the enemy when you try to show someone the errors of their way. Oh, don't you talk out against this guy, Rick, or you know, Joe, or whatever. You know, don't talk out against them. And it's like, what? You become the enemy. A pastor wants to make sure that there's no foreign substance coming into the truth by these ideas that are invented by the carnal mind and they're not supported by Scripture. That's what we're doing here. Amen? This local church is the pillar of truth. This is what we're doing here. We're here protecting the truth. And <laughs> if we can't protect the truth, we're in the wrong business. Go get a job at the toy department at Macy's. You know, stop, stop pastoring. And so, we have to, the first thing I see is we develop firm convictions so that we can persevere in the truth without being hindered by any foreign substance of our understanding of what it is to glorify God with our obedience to him. The second thing, you know, it makes you wise in verse 15 where it says, and that from trial to 
from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise. You know, that to me, I look at it, it directs us in a faith-filled life in Christ. Okay? And there's a big difference between being a good student of the word and living by faith. There's a big difference. We hope both are operating, that our faith is dictating to us, I've got to learn God's word. I've got to learn God's word. But there's a lot of people running around, including theologians, that they can run circles around anybody when it comes to the knowledge of the scriptures. They're not even living by faith. I got pastor friends that have been out of the ministry and they, they can't, they're, they're still trying to get by on yesterday's manna. <laughs> you know, it's Wednesday. You can't get by on Tuesday's manna. They're still getting by on yesterday's manna. <laughs> and they're not even living by faith today. And they can't see the deception. Why? Because they stopped doing things God's way. They started playing fast and loose with the word of God. They started taking things into their own hand. They don't even go to church, these guys. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, these, these in the past, they were mentors. How could this be? Well, you want to play games with God's word. You want to start doing things your own way. You want to, stop, you, you want to start failing to, to be obedient. You, you won't believe what will happen to a person who becomes unfaithful to the reality of God's word. You won't believe it. And I don't care what kind of background they have. And that's why this Bible constantly reminds us, you know, you know, as, as Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembly of God's people. The other thing I see profitable for doctrine in verse 16, where it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine it directs us in the right teaching. Okay, if we're going to formulate any doctrine, it better be from God's word. Like I said earlier, I said, I'm hearing a lot of guys with their opinionated commentary. You know, it's like, why don't you just interpret the word of God? Why don't you just start quoting it? You know, but, but all of a sudden, their commentary starts fogging up the simplicity of what the verse is saying. Just let God's word speak first. The, second, the fourth thing in verse 16, it says, <clears throat> for reproof. You know, the word of God will reprove us when we're in sin. Okay? One of the healthiest things to do, this is where pride gets in the way. Just confess our sins. The flesh is, you know, the flesh runs around the carnal mind. It's like a bulletproof vest we put on. We have to be perfect to everybody. Will you knock it off? Just confess the errors of our way. What's so hard? If we're in sin and somebody rebukes us, take it on the chin and, and say, God bless you. Thank you. I would probably would have never figured it out myself. But it's reproof. We use the word of God. It's like, brother, I mean, we're talking about direct violations of God's word. Again, let's go back to sexual morality. Sex before marriage. That's sin. You can't do that, brother. You can't do that, sister. Oh, I tell you, every once in a while, I get somebody that comes and thanks me. Thank you. I didn't know that premarital sex was wrong. I thought it was okay. That's the way of the world. But you get blessed, and they say, thank you. And you point it out in Scripture. Oh, this is not, you know, in love. And all they do is confess it and say, yeah, I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of my relationship with God. Amen. 
But then you're running nine out of ten, it seems like. It's like, eh, don't tell me, you're judging me, you're judging me. You know, it's like they got a bulletproof vest on when it comes to defending their sin. Just confess it. The word of God is there to help us. God didn't choose us because we're perfect. He chose us so that we can follow the perfect one. That's why God set us apart. And so reproves us when we're in sin. Then it says for correction. You know, a little bit of a shade, different shade of meaning. Corrects us when we're in error. You know, sometimes we have some differences on issues that are not essential. And we kind of correct each other. I think of uh, Apollos, right? Acts, what was it, Acts 18 around there, 17, 18. You know, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, they caught up with him. He, he only knows John's Baptist, but the guys, he's so tenacious, you know, and he was such a warrior. But he had to be a little corrective. Maybe that's a bad example, or maybe eh, he, he needed to, you know, he was limited in his knowledge, so he had to get corrected. You know, Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit came, uh, you know, and, and so on. But there's times when we have differences, you know, and I'll hear something and, you know, say something. Gee, brother, how, how did you mean that? Did you... You know, that, that seems to be, you need to qualify that. Correction. How, how do we qualify something? We use the word of God. The word of God will help us qualify so we can be, all be on the same page. All right? Then it instructs us in, um, in, instructs us in holiness where it says for instruction in righteousness. And so the word is going to instruct us in the holiness of God. And then the last one where it says that man, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It equips us completely for divine service to God. Yeah, that's what it does. That's why we, have, we keep growing. We get equipped. We become effective witnesses for God. Right? Now, how do we nullify <clears throat> or make God's word void how do we nullify the transforming power of God's word in our lives? How do we nullify it? All right, let me leave you with six things, okay? This is, you know, I could probably come up with another six. But for now, these are six things that I've noticed that will nullify the word of God in a person's life. The first one is a, a lack of spiritual discipline in one's life. You know, no discipline. Let's go to 1 Corinthians uh, 9.24. <clears throat> Some of you guys out there, you can smile a little bit while I'm talking, man. You, you, you got, I mean, I tell you, you got me nervous up here, man. Hey, throw me a little smile, you know. It, yeah. Throw me a bone, man. First uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. I'm coming on. This is another climatic statement to one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. But I say that at about every chapter. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached others, I myself become disqualified. Paul, he's, he's taken this principle 
You know, all things are profitable, but not everything is beneficial. You know, he started that in chapter 6. He touches on it in chapter 8. But now in this climatic statement, this flesh wants its rights. Okay? It wants its rights. Okay? He's talking in chapter 9 about the fact that he's not even going to get, he's not even going to take any income for his service to the saints. Why? Because... He doesn't want to bring a reproach to the gospel. He had all the rights as an apostle to receive income. He chose to bypass it. Why? Because his critics were telling everybody that he's in this for the money. Now, that seems to be in the background. The point is that his, his convictions and his love for God, he says, I do everything for what, for what reason? To gain a hearing of the gospel in someone's heart. He says, I become a slave to all men without compromising the truth. I have become a slave to all men, submitting my conscience to their conscience without compromising so that I might win some to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's making this statement. I pound my body into submission. Why? Because the flesh wants its rights. It wants the best of everything. It's not going to submit to nothing. But itself, he's talking with humility, saying that I want to gain a hearing for God's word. I want to advance the kingdom of God. I'm going to have to lay down my rights as an apostle and the rights of this flesh. I pound it into submission so that I'm able to be an effective witness for God and really testify to the truth. Are we willing to bypass a lot of rights we have for the sake of maybe winning some to the gospel? It takes a lot of discipline, a lot of discipline. And only the Holy Spirit can give us the discipline to say no to the ways of the flesh, rationalizing, whatever, and giving us the grace and the strength or the grace in Tim to be able to <laughs> persevere. The second thing that will allowing the traditions of men to supersede the governing authority of the Bible for righteous living. Matthew 15, right? Talks about you honor the traditions, your traditions, and you nullify the word of God. If you get a chance, look at Matthew 15. Very powerful area. I grew up in a traditional church, Catholicism. It's all tradition, all due respect, but it's all tradition. You know what I would tell my Catholic friends? You know what I would tell the Pope? Hey, guys, let the people come to Jesus. Please, let them come to Jesus. There's a roadblock. There's a total roadblock. You got to get through the saints. You got to get through Mary. You got to get through all that traditional practice. Let the people come to Jesus. So they can see the reality of truth. Oh, Catholics are good people. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I know. I'm talking about the truth here. And that traditional religion is challenging the truth of Jesus Christ. Our loyalty is to the truth. Not to play in patty cakes with people. And so, oh, you got a nice little thing there. We got our thing over here at Calvary. You got your little thing. That's not the way this works. That's not the way this works. 
We stand up for the truth. We start following the traditions of men. Hey, listen, I was with Messianic churches, you know, when I first got saved. And, you know, I'll tell you what, they got traditions with all these Jewish practices. They put up a roadblock over Jesus. They're more interested in, in Jewishness than the Jewish Messiah. This is crazy. Again, all due respect to Messianic churches, I'm very familiar with them. You know, people thought I was a Jew the way I always had a Jewishness to my teaching. You know, I learned with a Jew, the Gospels, and you know, so it was very advantageous. But I'm just emphasizing something. You get caught up in traditional things. I don't care if it's the Catholics or Jewishness. You're going to blind yourself from seeing the reality of Christ. That's just the, re that's just the truth. And if you love someone, you tell them. It's like, hey, come on. I mean, I appreciate your zeal. I appreciate your, you know, you know what Paul did even to those Greeks in Acts 17. Hey, you guys are pretty religious. You, I see an unknown God you worship. But he was trying to bridge a gap. But he wasn't compromising the truth because he brought them face to face with Christ. When you see someone traditionally off base, bring them face to face with Christ. And you don't even, even need to mention their traditions because you could see what the traditions are doing and blinding them. But what you want to do is bring them face to face with the reality of God's word, with the reality of Christ and salvation. And leave there, you know, you don't have to criticize. They start asking you, what about this? Well, those are things that are going to just sidetrack you from coming face to face with Christ. <clears throat> Again, I mentioned third thing, allowing the ideas and philosophies of man to infiltrate the pure teaching of God's word. Let's, let's look at Colossians chapter two, verse six. <clears throat> and uh, I'll use this as a, uh, <clears throat> uh, Colossians chapter two, verse six, and, and then we'll, kind of try to bring this all to an end. <clears throat> I haven't seen anybody looking at their watch yet, so that's good, you know. It's, it's this aisle that's really, this is the aisle that's really, when someone puts their wrist out in the aisle and all you can see is the wrist and the watch. But what's worse than that, when they turn around and look at the clock, and it's like, man, I thought I was on a roll here, you know, this, what's... <laughs> Yeah, you get a guy go, you know, as I go. Amen. But anyway, uh, chapter 2, verse 6. Uh, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And then the contrast, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I like verse 10. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and power. And then it talks about, you know, the transition spiritually. We've been circumcised in him. We've escaped the power of sin. And so, you know, three, you know, let's don't have, you know, a lack of spiritual discipline. Let's don't let traditions fog up the reality of Christ. Let's don't let the ideas or the philosophies of man 
infiltrate the pure teaching of God's word. You know, here's another one. You know, the Bible speaks about righteousness through separation. And we live in the world, but somewhere we've got to separate ourselves from the world, ways of the world, all right? And, you know, the famous church fathers used to say, you know, we live in the world, but we are not of the world. All of us need to learn through discipline, through growing, through persevering, how to separate. We need to have, you know, we, we need to have contact with the world, but it's contact without contamination, okay? If we find ourselves being contaminated, you know, with our lifestyles, with the ways of the world, we, get, we need to revisit this and say, maybe I'm not separating myself from some old friends that are getting me in trouble or some old places that I'm hanging out, you know? And so our convictions will drive us and all of a sudden we'll start feeling a little uncomfortable about worldly environments. Or, you know, all of a sudden we, we're listening to dirty jokes and we're not getting the same effect. You know, we're being overcome with conviction. We're going to these movies and all of a sudden those four-letter words, we're, we're noticing them or we should be noticing them, <laughs> right? And, and all of a sudden we start realizing, what am I doing? You know, look at all the crazy shows on at night, right? They're all making fun of gays and you know, even God. And you know, we just sit there and laugh for an hour, you know? And it's like, you know, this is stuff that's just, it's totally unproductive. And all of a sudden, you know, and again, I can't, I would never tell anybody what shows to watch or what movies to go. That, that's your business. But I will try to bring you face to face with the holiness of God so we can develop the convictions. So in the privacy of our lives, we can say no. To that kind of ungodliness. God loves that kind of spirit. He loves that kind of heart. Uh, you know, is it really productive to have somebody over your, over your shoulder tell you, you can't go there, you can't do that? You, uh, you know, that's not worship. Worship is when we make those decisions because we love Christ more than we love the desires of our own flesh. That's worship. You know? And so, a couple more things failing to address one's you know, sin in one's life, you know, there's no confession, that'll blind us. Just being prideful. Bible has a lot to say about, you know, being prideful. Now, let me just say that if any of these shortcomings exist in our Christian lives, it's nearly impossible to go forward in the faith with the fullness of God's power and wisdom. The believer must throw off anything that will hinder his or her forward progress, okay? And so, these are six things. No discipline, following traditions, being persuaded by man, no separation from the world, no confession of sin, no humility. That'll get us in a lot of trouble. And it's going to be hard to hear God. And so in our spiritual value system, is it being shaped by the word of God? Right? We have to ask ourselves. Is our value system being shaped by the word of God, by the Holy Spirit? This is what I mean when I say, are we a product of the Holy Spirit? Or are we being shaped by a lot of other things? You know what? If you're a news fanatic, that's dangerous business. All right? We're all attracted to the news, especially with the, you know, with the, you know, with the elections. You know, be careful, you know, that media starts shaping your value system to a point where we're not even thinking about the truth of Christ anymore. We're thinking conservatism versus liberalism, 
which there's, some, there's a place that, you know, definitely is a good thing. But we're Christians, right? I like what Mike Pence said when he took the role as a vice president. I'm a Christian first, right? I'm a Republican second. I'm a, I'm a conservative third or something like that. He wanted to put everything in its proper order. I'm a Christian first. And what I was hearing from the brother was that wanted to hear, you know, he wanted to show his loyalty to the truth first, as opposed to being loyal to a Republican Party or a conservative party. Amen? And so anyway, be disciplined, you know, let the Word of God do its work in our hearts, and uh, we'll be fine. We'll be okay. Amen? So... Why don't you come up and pray, Tim, huh? Come on. I love how Pastor Tommy started in Psalm 119, speaking of the Word of God. For those of you who went through the Psalms, we went through the whole Psalms on Wednesday nights together as a church. Does anybody remember how many verses are in Psalm 119? Does anybody know? Not enough, Bob. Does anybody know how many verses in 119? What? 176? I don't know. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> I forgot. It's a lot. Every single verse. Every single verse. I got reverb in me, huh? Every single verse in the longest chapter in the Bible speaks about God's word in Psalm 119. If you don't believe me, go read it. Tonight, before you go to bed, every single verse speaks about God's word in Psalm 119. God is good. Let's pray. Father, we trust you because you are good. Your word is good. Just like we looked at this morning, you, you bind your waist with righteousness and with truth. We know what to expect from you. You are faithful when we are when we are faithless because you cannot deny yourself. It's who you are. It's so good to meditate on those truths. Thank you for that word tonight, God. Thank you that we can gather together. We can have fellowship with each other. We can have fellowship with you. We can be reminded of the gospel, the good news that you've given to reconcile us to yourself. So, Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters here tonight that you would prepare their hearts for this week. You know what Monday holds. You know what Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday hold. Nothing is too great for you. You know the whole thing from the beginning to the end. You are the Alpha and the Omega. And we humbly submit ourselves to you and pray to you for your perfect will, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.